Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the Reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. It's the worst that it's been since the last time it happened. It's happening again right in front of our eyes. There's updated footage and wild speculation, tall tales and hearsay and absolute lies. Been passed off as factual. But actually the actual causes they're awkwardly blocking the way Keeping us all from enjoying our evening Shoving its roots through the screens in our face Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings along with a scripture reading and a message. On matters that I never dreamed. In all my born days as a white boy from Hickman, based on the way that the world's been to me. It's called me belligerent. It took me for ignorant, but it ain't never once made me scared just to be. Now could you imagine just constantly worrying, kicking and fighting and begging to breathe?
book of Jonah, third chapter, verses 1 through 5 and 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we continue in our series entitled, Why We Can't Wait, Truth and Racial Reckoning. Last week, we opened the series with a message from Reverend Phil Lawson, a veteran of the civil rights movement, a slightly younger contemporary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The civil rights movement of the 50s, 60s, and 70s was a time of truth and racial reckoning. And now, again, we are in a time of national, perhaps even global, reckoning. More time at home, coupled with a health crisis, a political crisis, and long delayed attention to racial injustice have caused us to look inward with new honesty. Less opportunity for social distraction or activity gives space for us to gather the courage to acknowledge things that aren't right to see our place in how they are broken and to consider how we might make them right. Times of reckoning are important in our personal and collective lives. Though challenging and often painful, they are catalysts for growth. For many, midlife is coupled with a time of reckoning. That's why it's often called a crisis. You've no doubt heard the phrase, don't waste a good crisis. Nobody wants to be in crisis, but crisis can lead us to reflect and to self-interrogate. The reaching out for help that is precipitated by a crisis and reckoning is what can help us move into a new state of maturity and wisdom. In the early 2000s, the scholar Rita Nakashima Brock, formerly of the Graduate Theological Union, began her own journey of self-investigation and interrogation. 
she came to a crisis point where she needed to understand the harshness she had experienced from her stepfather. She wanted to know why love and support were lacking in her early life. As a theologian in midlife who had studied and written about the suffering of others, she turned her trained lens on her own suffering. What she found when she began to explore the story of the family she grew up in and her stepfather, a Vietnam veteran, was what she eventually named moral injury. What is moral injury? You may not have heard of this term before. It's, it's relatively new and, and, it, and it is directly from the research of Nakashima Brock. Moral injury comes when a person has acted in ways that go against conscience. In war, at the command of officers or in order to pre preserve their own lives, we know soldiers have to act in the moment. And then sometimes even seconds later, regret the same action for the harm it caused or the life taken. The result is a moral injury a wound to one's sense of self as a good person. Moral injury is a damaging of the ability to see oneself as a beloved child of God. It can come as a result of war, as Nakashima Brock found in her own family, but her wider research shows it can come as a result of other situations of violence too. We often talk about persons who have been in violent situations as having PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. What Nakashima Brock found was that a number of persons were being diagnosed with PTSD when they were really dealing with a moral injury. She says, moral injury afflicts ordinary people too. When no good choice is possible, in situations where people must use whatever power they have to act, knowing they may or will cause harm or violate their own core moral values. In those situations, we actually don't lose our moral conscience, but in judging ourselves, we become both betrayer and betrayed, a soul divided against itself. I submit to you this morning that it is in times of reckoning that we have the opportunity to become newly aware of ways in which we have caused harm or inherited harm caused and the ways in which moral injury lives with us, this sense of being irredeemable. The path of truth and racial reckoning and the consciousness it elicits can bring persons into this kind of state. Particularly for white persons, new awareness of the ways in which we have participated in protecting our privilege at the expense of persons of color or furthered bias or acted on bias or worse can produce a state of shame and feeling beyond repair. In confronting the horror of one's complicity in racism, one can feel oneself impossible to redeem. 
This is the dawning consciousness of the white Appalachian songwriter that was expressed in the song Judy Kriege sang this morning. He wonders if this shame, instead of being a catalyst for change, will just result in one more chapter of violence in a long, violent history. There's no question that racism is violence to persons of color and it is disfiguring to racists too. Racism harms all of us. As a nation, we are in a state of moral injury. But as inaugural poet Amanda Gorman said on Wednesday, being American is more than a pride we inherit, it's the past we step into and how we repair it. What Nakashima Brock found was that soul repair, when the past has resulted in moral injury, is a journey that requires both grace and mercy. What is mercy? We hear a lot about grace as United Methodists, but much less so about mercy. Ephesians tells us that mercy and grace are two sides of the same coin. Grace is love and salvation even when we don't deserve it, and mercy is not being punished even when we do deserve it. Susan Jardin gave us a beautiful example of mercy in her children's message for today. Well, our scripture for today from Jonah is a classic story about mercy. As the story begins, God has asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and deliver a message that God is displeased with Nineveh's wickedness. Jonah doesn't want to do this. And so he boards a ship going the other direction. Then a great storm comes up and it's chaos. The ship is roiling and rolling and nobody knows what to do. All on the ship are afraid for their lives. And Jonah lets them know, this is probably happening as a result of my disobedience to God. Throw me overboard, he says, and things should get better. But the sailors are wise enough to know that to do so would be murder and they beg for mercy from the God of Jonah. And then they throw him over anyway. And Jonah falls down, down to the bottom of the ocean and there he is swallowed by some great sea creature, some great sea monster. Some call it a whale, some call it some other uh, mythical creature that has never been seen before or since. And miraculously, Jonah survives this swallowing. He, he lives for three days inside the belly of the sea creature. And there Jonah prays to God, praises God, and repents. And God accepts his repentance and has the fish cough him up onto the shore, whole, saved. God asks Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh, and this time Jonah agrees. Jonah goes to the edge of the city and says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's the most half-hearted, minimal effort you could imagine. And miraculously, the Ninevites hear him 
and they repent and they say, let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And God does relent. The Ninevites are spared. You would think this would cause joy in Jonah to have brought about the beginning stages of repair. But instead, he's angry. You should have punished them, he says to God. I knew you were going to do this, Jonah says. That's why I didn't want to do this errand for you in the first place. But God says, no. What good would it do to punish and wipe the Ninevites from the face of the earth? They have earnestly repented. Leave to me what is mine. I am a God of mercy. What Rita Nakashima Brock found was that in the case of moral injury, of being aware of the harm one has caused to the extent of feeling one's soul is in shreds, in these cases, punishment is no solution. Now, I want to be clear here. We're not talking about cavalier lawlessness or hate enacted with no remorse. Moral injury is when a person is conscious of harm done and feels a deep responsibility for it. The person's own sense of having violated morality and the associated self-judgment is punishment enough. What is needed instead is a non-judgmental acceptance of the person as a human being who still has value and worth. What Nakashima Brock found is necessary is an openness to listen to that person's truth as horrible and challenging as it may be to hear. In a word, what is needed is mercy. Did you notice how Jonah readily accepted mercy from God when he needed it, but is so unwilling for others to have it? This is so often the case. We're grateful for mercy for ourselves, but frustrated when mercy gets extended to others. They didn't deserve it, Jonah says. They're not Jews. They aren't even your people. And they never paid for what they did. But God says the work of soul repair transcends crime and punishment. And that God is not finished with us yet. We are not broken but simply as the inaugural poet Amanda Gorman so beautifully put it, unfinished. We are not broken, but simply unfinished. There's been a lot of talk about healing over the last few weeks. Healing is important, essential. And if we are to heal, we will need mercy. Fortunately, we serve a great physician who understands the connection between healing and mercy. Healing is possible when we are honest about where we've been, where we are, and what we've done. May we be honest, may we be open, and may we put ourselves in the great tradition of a God whose mercy knows no bounds. In this way, 
Crisis gives way to truth-telling, which gives way to honesty. In honesty, may we find repentance, grace, and mercy, and finally healing. Amen. been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.
Thank you.